But Anna Porter was born in Budapest, Hungary, and escaped with her mother during the 1956 revolution to New Zealand. In 1968, she arrived in Canada and was soon swept up in the cultural explosion of the 1970s. In 1982, she founded Key Porter Books and published such national figures as Farley Mowat, Jean Chrétien, Conrad Black, and Alan Fotheringham. She went on to write both fiction and nonfiction works, including Kastner's Train, which won the Writers' Trust Nonfiction Prize and the Jewish Book Award, and The Ghosts of Europe, which won the Shaughnessy Cohen Prize for Political Writing. She's published four mystery novels. Porter is an officer of the Order of Canada and a recipient of the Order of Ontario. She lives in Toronto with her husband, Julian Porter. We are at the Kingston Writers' Festival. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. Nice to meet you in person. You've just written a book, a memoir, In Other Words. Upon reading it, I basically thought she's led a blessed life. You came to Canada in 1968, landed a really interesting job, and married the most eligible lawyer in the country. However, when I reflected on it, I went back to the beginning of the book, and your father was a slave laborer in the Gulag. He returned. He was a complete stranger to you. He stank of cigars, and he wasn't happy to see you. He escaped to Austria. You and your mother followed, and your mother was jailed for eight months. Um, that doesn't sound too blessed. No, but I was a little kid, and uh, I had a, a, a reasonably cheerful attitude to life, which stood me in good stead then and has since. I was not, didn't mourn the absence of, of my father, since I didn't know him, and uh, my memory of him is, is brief, mm -hmm. as, as, as I related in the book, and um, the role of father in, in my life was... Uh, was assumed by my grandfather, who was an, an extraordinary, colorful, wonderful Billy. figure. Billy, yes, the storyteller of, of, of my, my book, of that title. Yes, and you, in fact, loved hearing his stories and, and listening to them. So what was it about his stories that made you love them? They had beginnings, middles, and ends. And they they featured uh, uh, the usually quite unusual characters, including, uh, of course, the great Transylvanian dragon, um, who I still believe uh, inhabits uh, a couple of those uh, mountains that I visited later when I was grown up, and 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 waited to 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 meet to meet the dragon. So these um, were stories that he wonderful. didn't he didn't make them up. He was of telling traditional Hungarian stories to you? Um, he made up a lot of the stories. Um, he used uh, historical uh, facts uh, for some of his stories. And, uh, and, he, and he tried to make everything more interesting by introducing witches and, and as I mentioned, uh, uh, well, one dragon anyway, and uh, lots of kind of heroic characters. Um, 
my family going back uh, hundreds of years was in the habit of, uh, well, the men were in the habit of, of, of grabbing uh, broad swords and issuing forth from wherever it was that they were into battle uh, quite, quite frequently against the uh, Turks. So he, he was able to, to tell them in a special way, I'm oh, sure. Yes but also to tie in your own ancestry, which is again kind of making you feel what, proud? Um, rooted. Which is interesting because you then went to New Zealand as a refugee. That's not being rooted. Well, um, 1956 uh, in, uh, in Hungary there was a, a, a revolution mm -hmm. which was put down by uh, the Soviet army. Um, and I was there as a kid and witnessed a, a, a great deal of it. Again, and that's not blessed. Not particularly blessed, no, but there is an upside. Our apartment got a direct hit by a Russian tank, which then forced my mother to Get leave. Out. Yeah. And had we stayed in Hungary, I would never have been able to work as a book publisher until after uh, 1989, I would not have had an, a, a really good education because uh, children of the bourgeoisie, as they were deemed to have been the elite and privileged, were not going to get good education. So I would not have had a good education. Mm -hmm. And I think that I would probably have been a poet. I would have certainly been writing. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something. But... I got a good education in New Zealand. Yeah, at the Catholic boarding school. And again, that's not blessed. Well, I, we got a lot of blessings. <laughs> uh, yes, but. there's a great deal of, 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 of kneeling and, and much genuflection. But you hated it, though. I loathed it with a passion. Yeah. I, I really wished, uh, you know, I... I, I but you I still did the reading. I did the reading. I learned English. The, yeah. the nuns were, were, were very good about that. I mean, I couldn't speak a word of English. So <laughs> in order to communicate with me, I had to learn English. And it, it worked out very well for me. So um, why did you leave uh, New Zealand? It's a beautiful country beautiful. and they read their stories there. They apparently. read this. I found it intensely boring. I'm sorry, I should not say these things about a country that was so kind to, to me and to, to, took me in as a refugee, but um, I, really, uh, I really wanted to go somewhere uh, where there was a livelier intellectual life. And London is pretty, pretty lively. It was lively. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you, you did get involved in the publishing business there. Yeah, I was hired. I worked... Um, Collier, right? Collier Macmillan. Macmillan, yeah. And Castle and & Company. Castle & Company, uh, uh, where I pretended to, uh, to know how to proofread. And uh, bless them, they didn't, uh, they didn't notice that I couldn't. But I, and I did have the privilege of meeting um, Robert Graves in an elevator. Mm. A wonderful memory for me. He would not, not of course, remember, and our conversation was non-existent. Uh, he would have remembered an attractive young woman. Uh, I don't think so. Really, uh, he... He was uh, besotted with Laura Riding, was he? He was, he was uh, besotted. Actually, I think he had... It was won, over won, by then. Won one, yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. No. He's a poet, of course. Yes, yeah, a wonderful poet, and I was a huge admirer, but, but lost for words when I finally had the opportunity to meet him. And then I was a sales rep for Collier Macmillan. Oh, okay, so you really did sort of... 
learn the business to some extent. From the ground up. Okay. Um, your mother remarried a communist engineer to pull some strings to get Vili out of Hungary. Can you clarify that for me? Well, out of jail. My, out of jail. He was in jail. He was in jail. Um, because he was? Because he spoke against the government um, in, a, in, a, in a coffee house, I assume, because I used to go to coffee houses with him, and I heard him making um, anti-government uh, uh, jokes quite quite often um, mm -hmm. but he was uh, he was accused and tried on trumped up charges and he was in uh, he was condemned to hard labor and my mother and uh, and uh, my grandmother of course were very very keen to get him out of there yeah was this was sort of a pragmatic marriage would you absolutely say? pragmatic yeah she yeah. was very uh, good at that well she married him and he did get my grandfather out of jail, so it worked. I didn't really like him that much, mm -hmm. uh, my, my mother's uh, uh, second husband, but my mother had a number of relationships, uh, uh, you know, mostly friendly, but not all just friendly um, yeah. with men. And he was not worse than some of them. She, uh, you know, she was an unmarried woman by then, and why not? Yeah. Good for her. Yes. So you came to Canada in 1968 and landed a job thanks in part to the great Frank Neufeld, who I interviewed several years ago. Oh, did you? For his book, uh, Words into Type? Just for his fantastic career. And I like right. that you mentioned that he won 170 international awards. That's incredible. More people should know about Frank Neufeld. Everyone seemed imbued with a sense of mission as part of a magnificent experiment with Jack McClone as the exalted master magician and inspired apprentices. So, okay, what was his magic? He was um, an enthusiast um, and he was able to convey that enthusiasm to his authors authors we were publishing, um, his staff who worked for pennies, and to the greater public. So he, he, he managed to make the writers that were being published by, by McClellan and Stewart into national figures. No, I know that, but why did he turn you into an inspired apprentice? He was the most inspiring person I have ever worked for and uh, he taught me everything about how to publish. Okay, can you summarize that in three sentences? Caring about the writer more than about yourself. Caring about the writer um, to the exclusion of interruptions. What does that mean? It requires dedication. Well, that you, uh, that you stick with it. Even if... You're loyal. Uh, Yes. Even if they didn't sell books? Even if the books, uh, because if, if the first book doesn't sell, you don't just abandon a ship, you, 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 you go on. And, and you know who that sounds like? Sorry to interrupt. Yes. I just interviewed someone who's written a biography of James Laughlin with New Directions. Yes. Exactly the same yes. idea. He was loyal, even if they didn't sell. He knew that they were good, and he continued to publish them. In fact... They made more money, even though he didn't pay big uh, advances, they made more money as a result of that. Absolutely. 
And you know, Jack was in is in that school of publishers. Unfortunately, uh, there's not many around of that caliber today because uh, publishing is 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 viewed more as a commercial business, now. moving commodity. Yes, Wait, and and the fact that he didn't view it as a commercial business, although he did want to keep going, I think contributed to uh, the ultimate uh, sale of. Yeah, he really, really cared about Canadian culture. Yeah. And he was flamboyant too, wasn't he? Yes, he was fun. He was a lot of fun. And he was all inventive. Um, He was, uh, it it, it was a joy to watch him in action. In fact, after eight years of working with him, you acquired much of Jack's vocabulary. Yes. So you said fuck a lot? Oh, yes. Yes. I, uh, yes. Uh, it was not a word I had used prior to to Jack. But, it's a great word, uh, isn't it? If you well, don't use expressive. it too much, yeah. it's expressive. If you if you use it a, a lot, it loses its currency. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but his language was colorful, mm-hmm. and uh, as was he. And and you know, just watching him at his desk with his feet up on the mm-hmm. desk and leaning back and in the smoking, smoking constantly, and mm-hmm. in the summer. He would be, he, he'd have his shirt off. I mean, in, he the wouldn't office. Act, in the office. He'd be walking around with his shirt off. Did he have a good build? No, well, he was quite slim. Okay. Uh, at, at one time, he'd been a, a hockey player. Okay. And was actually, and I can't remember which team um, had tried to get him to, to play. Oh, wow. Hockey. So he was, he was actually quite good. But being a publisher, you don't get much time to play hockey so he was he didn't have the kind of musculature mm. uh, that guys who walk around without a shirt normally have okay each editor was expected to work on at least 20 manuscripts a year and to supply each book with a heartfelt recommendation including keywords regional angles comparison to known bestsellers so that the reps could get that out in a couple of minutes. Absolutely. And I remember those sales conferences to this day with the editors sweating blood and the reps looking sleepy and time passing so that, you know, if if the editor didn't get to the crucial part of the presentation of what the book is really about because you've done the a regional angle, you've done the keywords, you've done whatever it is that you think the rep might need to get the buyer's attention, they were cut off. So the editor didn't really have a chance quite often to finish the presentations. Jack did some of the presentations himself. To the big buyers? No, to the uh, sales conference. Oh, to the sales conference. And he did go out to the big buyers. Okay. So what sold the books? back then? Was it uh, book reviews or what was it? Well, there were book reviews. Um, there were a lot more independent booksellers mm-hmm. and what what we used to call hand selling where y- you would send out advanced copies to particular booksellers who you thought might have an influence uh, with their uh, customers. And with with the, all sorts of fun gimmicks too, right? Gimmicks, yes. Yeah. 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 Well, the gimmicks would get the reviewer's attention, not necessarily oh, okay. 
the booksellers, but right. but the gimmicks would get get the reviewers' attention, even if the book wasn't all that great. So yeah, no, I but there were three chains. Now yeah, there's yeah. one, yeah. and I remember doing presentations to um, <clears throat> classics, and Coles and Smiths, you know, uh, and you went and if one buyer at one of the three chains would say, well, you know, I think that's a pass. You didn't have to panic because mm. you had two more buyers. Monopoly. Now mm. it's uh, it's one big chain. And if the buyer says it's a pass, you're really out of luck. Yeah, I wouldn't like to be in that sales situation, especially if you don't hit it off with the, with the book buyer. Well, then it's, what? Then every time you come with to, the, to them with something, they just tell you to get lost? If you don't hit it off with the book buyer, you ask a colleague to take over the call. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even now, that would be happening. So, McClellan and Stewart published a hundred books a year. At That's least. a lot. Yes. Yes. And then when you left and set up Key Porter in 82, so you were there for about 10 years with yes. Jack, oh, right? Yes, a little longer, yes. A little longer. Then you also published a hundred books a year. Well, not initially. <laughs> okay, Initially, you had to build just up four, to it. but <laughs> one of which okay. was Adam Fogel. You didn't just step into a hundred no, then. Okay. No, right. but we built up to to a hundred books. In fact, I remember the year we did a hundred and twenty books, and I did the presentation to our sales group, and and they re, they looked panicked. They could not believe we had a hundred and twenty books on on the list that year. So yes, I followed in his uh, in his. Footsteps. I, you know, I think we overpublished at Key yeah. Porter, and I think we overpublished at McLellan and Stewart. You were an editor, an editor in chief, in fact. Yes, not initially. Again, not initially. No, no, you had to warm up to that. Yeah. But I think yeah. they were pretty impressed right off the bat um, with you. It's a question of who they is. Well, uh, Jack. Jack was uh, Jack was taking a chance. I, I didn't have a Canadian background. He thought I was um, gutsy and brash. And I had presented um, at our initial interview, I had presented uh, him with a, a quasi-resume that uh, went on for more jobs than I actually had ever had. And it was perfectly obvious because I... So young. I was too young. <laughs> I, and I arrived at work. Uh, wearing a, a, a short mini dress. Mm. Yeah, you look great on the cover, by the way. I oh, that's much yeah. later. Oh, is it? Oh, God, is, yes. Yeah. By then I was... Uh, Not that wearing, you don't look great now, of course, but... Oh, gee, thank you. Nice try. No, by then I, was, I had acquired some serious clothes, but I, I, I arrived with a, you know, wearing a mini dress and, and, and white go-go boots. Straight out of it, Carnaby Street. I, I thought I looked smashing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I imagine that the, the boys did, too. Well, um, so, some, of the, some of the editors um, had, had their doubts about whether or not I would last a week but interesting but many of them have remained friends and the editors I hired I think my first hire was Jennifer Glossop mm -hmm. and she uh, I asked or Phyllis and I asked her if she would Phyllis read Bruce Phyllis Bruce yeah and I asked her if she would read the McClellan and Stewart part of my new book because she okay. was also there yeah and Linda McKnight of course uh, who is uh, 
went on to become an agent and and so on. I mean, I, and I've remained friendly with most of the people I had hired. Well, that in fact brings me to my. And I'm going to get there actually, but this is a, a very gossipy book in a good way. You know pretty well every single member of the Canadian establishment. It well, seems. a lot, a lot of them. And they pretty well all get mentioned in this book. Not all. You don't crap on anyone, really. You get you get a little catty occasionally. Yes. But overall, I thought I was a little catty about uh, Roloff Benny, and uh, a little a little catty about Christopher Ondaatje too. I thought. Oh. Just gosh. his appearance. But I hope it's not. Yes, his appearance. I hope. I hope not. Not so much that he'll sue. Well, that was another thing, too, isn't it? You, it's a good thing you've got a husband who's a lawyer. He's a libel lawyer. Better <laughs> still. Yeah. So, yes. So it's a perfect fit in that regard. Yes. He, uh, he actually protected me from a number, and he acted for me in a, in a, in a number of, of libel suits. And we won some. That's pretty good. good. We settled some because yes. uh, Julian, being a realist, used to say, well, you know, you can say this about Morty Shulman, but he will sue, and we will spend the next year defending what you said about him, and it's going to cost you this much. And do you really want to do that? Yeah. He's a good storyteller, too, apparently. That's Julian. Why you, is that why you married him, because he's a good storyteller like your grandfather? Um, he was also gorgeous. Okay, that's I helped. mean, I that really, helps, uh, sure. I really, I, yes, I, I, he was stunning to look at. And when you got married, Jack gave you a big goblet goblet full of condoms. Yes. How'd that go down? Well, my mother-in-law, um, a, a lady of, of extraordinary good pedigree, <laughs> thought that it was, it was the most revolting thing she had ever seen anybody uh, <laughs> present to a, to a bride. So, uh, so were, yes. you, were you laughing or were you I was in laughing, shock? I was hilarious. Okay, yes. Good, good. yes. I want to get back to, the, to you as an editor and then I want to move on to little snippets with all sorts of different people sure. here. Because that's what you do in the book. You give all sorts of little portraits of all sorts of interesting people. And again, the fact that you worked for McClellan and Stewart allowed you to meet so many fascinating people. You're yep. so lucky. Yeah, I agree with you. And and I, I, I think fascinating writers uh, at McClellan and Stewart really was the writers. And uh, when I started Key Porter and in between with Doubleday, I discovered that being a publisher actually gives you the right to call almost anybody. So that's a, that's a huge... Yeah. Uh, thing, uh, because I would, I mean, I was certainly, I was nobody. I got here, I, yeah. I certainly wasn't a member of any kind of elite. And nevertheless, people would take... Your call, yeah, yeah. And in fact, well, it, it sort of caters to their ego, too. We would like to publish your memoir. That's kind of a nice phone call to get. It is, yes. <laughs> yes, and I, but... but you know, a lot of people try to get through to prime ministers and they can't do it, or leaders of political parties, and it's and and mm. and, and I, I could pick up the phone. Yeah, but you're appealing to their ego, as I said, partly yes. anyway. Yes, I think that's probably true. 
As an editor, you look for moments of recognition when a new manuscript reveals itself to be a work of art or insight or sheer brilliance. So how do you get to that moment? Reading. There is there are no shortcuts. No, I, I figured that. <laughs> you part. just, you just. Um, is it something like what is it that get, that brought you to that moment? Is it is it just style or is it uh, combination? It's uh, style, story, um, freshness of of expression, and 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 the reverse of that is is true. I I was able to. Um, to get through a lot of what we call the slush pile. Yeah, and you had a really interesting group of people on that slush pile, didn't you? They all went on to some, most of them anyway, really interesting. Interesting uh, jobs. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, okay, I'm gonna, this is where I get a little bit of a, I'm going to attack you a little bit. Shoot. So are you ready for this? Sure, whatever. Okay. You say that Rudy Weebs, The Temptations of Big Bear, Mm -hmm. Rudy Weebs. Yes. Uh, you couldn't put it down. You found it riveting. And uh, here's what Nick Mount says, the uh, U of T prof, who's written a terrific book called Arrival. I don't know if you've uh, read it. And not only have I read it, he endorsed my book. Did it's he? on the back of uh, yes. Is it's it on okay. the back of, uh, okay. of the book? Yes. Well, he certainly doesn't endorse uh, Weebs' book. Listen to what he says. Look at that, okay. <laughs> okay, well, hopefully I'll stir something up between the two of you. Because here's what he said. He said, Judging by the typos alone, Weeb's editors had the same problem with his fourth novel that legions of undergraduates have had, staying awake while reading it. Weeb's plodding style, obese, ungainly sentences that trudge across the pages like the story's vanishing buffalo. <laughs> and you couldn't I put couldn't it down. I couldn't put it down. Uh, but you've got to... So what does that say? Well, it says that Nick Mount and I had different views. Yeah, well, I got that. It also says that we read that, that no novel at different stages in our lives. To me, or for me, that story of Big Bear was new. I had not been aware of that history. Mm, right. And, uh, and you were keen to learn about Canada, I right? was desperate to learn. Yeah. And the story actually of Big Bear has stayed with me all of these years. Um, mm. As for the editing, I think I may have told the story. You did, you did. That he rubbed out all of the... The what, copy editor, Every yeah. single one. Every single change that the copy editor made, usually cutting back his sentences, he Everything. erased them but all. But including Forget commas. It. Don't touch my stuff. Including commas, full stops, and, and everything. And I think that uh, there are... Um, well, of course, Jack used to say that there's never a book without typos, and this I've never found a book without typos. But I think there are a lot more in that book than others. <laughs> <laughs> For that reason. Oh, okay. So it's, it's, it really wasn't the editors. It was the author himself. Well, the author himself didn't like to be edited. Yeah. And this is not unusual. Um, we talk about, uh, in fact, we're just coming out of a session that uh, you spoke at on the panel. 
And Jack McClellan, you quote from a letter of his that says, vital forces in the cultural growth of the country are lost due to the inability to compete with a massive foreign presence. And he would, what, flip over in his grave to know that McClellan and Stewart was part of a German subsidiary. He would. He would because he was uh, he was he awarded. Was oh, yeah, no, yeah. but he was he won yes. some dispatchers mentioned in dispatchers. Yes, yes. he he was he was uh, he was in the war and and was a, a bit of a war hero to. I mean, I've talked to a number of people. He was on a, a boat, right? Yes, who yeah. uh, yes harassing like uh, German submarines. Yeah. Protecting, uh, protecting our uh, our waters, and and he, you know, he, Bertelsmann was not high on his list of friendly uh, <laughs> entities. He didn't like the Americans, but he, he no, like, he did not. He didn't I mean, like to go to the Frankfurt he Book never, Fair. No, he wouldn't. I mean, yeah. he he came a couple of times. He hated yeah. it. Hated yeah. it. He was quite convinced that every man he met of a similar age had been in a submarine or in a tank attacking his friends in the war. So, you know, if you ever talked to, to them at the Frankfurt Book Fair, you, you would find that there were no Germans at all on the Western Front, actually. They were all on the Eastern Front, is what they say. And they say, well, where were we during the war? Oh, Kiev. No, there's no... Um, and Jack didn't believe a word of it. Yeah. I didn't quote that in in my presentation, but but it's quite true that Jack felt there was not enough room in Canadian uh, bookstores or anywhere in Canada for Canadian writers. Not enough room, and he was particularly focused on mass market, on inexpensive paperbacks because those racks are are really controlled by uh, the large wholesalers, or were back then. And, uh, and unless you have a continuous stream of product, meaning books, you, you, you don't have a chance. Yeah. And he did try, and it was one of his uh, many failures to break through into a new way of marketing books. He was successful with the New Canadian Library, though. I mean, yes. even though that's a bit of a sham. He was, yes. It took a long time. Many of the uh, of the books actually failed to sell to start with, but he kept it up, mm-hmm. and eventually they found a place in uh, in universities and in homes. And mm-hmm. I think you know some of the books were very successful, some of them a lot less so, but some of the books were awful. Like Frederick Philip Grove, if you ever want to read. I've, re- I've read some of his criticism. I like Grove's criticism. I haven't read the novels. Oh though. well, you're, don't don't, don't <laughs> okay. bother. No, life is too short. Okay. Um, let's just, speaking of short lives, let's just do a, a quick hit, can we? Sure. Uh, on those. So, uh, Bob Fulford. Yes. What, what would you like me to tell you? Like, First like, thing that comes what, to your head. Fabulous critic, wonderful raconteur, um, really effortless writer of, of opinions, and and in my case, he he, he did one of the books that uh, that we published at Keepwater, one of the first books. It, he did Canada a celebration. Celeb- yes, and it sold all over the world. Oh, great! In many languages, I I have copies of most of the editions. George Jonas, poet, raconteur again, columnist, opinionated, wonderful, wonderful companion. I worked with him on on his uh, 
selected, which was the last book, and we put it together. He was dying, and I was I would read him one of his poems, and he would either nod or go ugh, and the ugh meant forget it, don't put it in the selected. He died shortly after I. I used to visit him uh, two, three times a week. Mm-hmm. By was, time he was, was he dying. Hungarian as well? He was mm-hmm. born in Hungary. Yeah. I, I think uh, Beethoven's Mask, which was his uh, his autobiography, is a wonderful book. I wish I had thought of mentioning it today when we were we were being asked about books. It's a fabulous book. If you have not read it, I'd like to recommend it to you. Mm. Okay. Alperti. I. Contrary to what uh, John Metcalf would say about Alperti, I found him to be a wonderful poet. I still do. Last not too folksy then, not too... Not... He, he, he was sure. putting on a persona, right? Yes, and he, can, he could be very folksy. Mm. And, and, and some of his poetry is folk, but it's really wonderful poetry. Um, I, so the sound Yeah, Canadian accent, right? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. the sound of the words in his poetry is just. Um, I last year um, I read out loud a couple of his poems here, and people were in tears. Mm. And I I still I find Tulamine Tulamine the poem that that repeats those words. Uh, it it would move anybody to tears. And his A-frame house, the famous, oh, is yes. close by to Kingston, very, right? Very very close. I used to go down there and visit. Okay, a couple more. Margaret Atwood. I think she is the best living writer uh, we have in this country. I think she is one of the best writers that Canada has ever produced uh, going back in history. She is varied. She's challenging. Mm -hmm. She's funny. She's very, very funny, even even when she's... Uh, she wants you to think about something that is crucial to contemplate. She will have a little tale of humor that makes it possible to get through yeah. some of the tougher passages in both her fiction and nonfiction work. A little but honey to go with the... Just a little, yeah. yes. In person, she's become a friend. Um, we have been friends since I first met her. Slowly, we became friends. And I'm just uh, proud that she's a friend. Conrad Black. Conrad, yes. Well, you go really, really easy, easy on Conrad in this book. I, I think Conrad's been through a lot. And I, unjustifiably so? I studied, I read... And I followed the court case against them in the United States. And I think it was grossly unfair. I think he was treated unfairly. And how he managed his time in a state penitentiary. Yeah, I no, that's that's laudatory for sure it is. But, really? But, but he, uh, I'm, I was one of his, I, I, uh, I owned shares in, to, in his company, Hollinger, Hollinger, and I lost them all. So I, yeah, but I'm not after, that happy. After he was gone. Well, um, and also he, he was padding his own nest. Well, that, that was one of the accusations that was in fact 
proven not to hold water. Okay. I think, mm. I mean, I, as a writer, to switch to a different part of the Conrad we know and love, I, I think he's a very good writer. I agree. And he's a lot of fun to read because he, he yeah. can be incendiary. incendiary. Yeah. He used to write the column in the Globe and Mail, yes. uh, bit, the magazine that they'd had. And I, they, he's still, he still writes, uh, he writes in, the, in the National Post now. Okay. And you know what? Uh, it's always fun to read. He invariably, invariably could do with an edit. He's quite happy to have okay. you touch his prose, but he will Fight as back. often reverse whatever it is you're suggesting, okay. uh, which is why his books uh, have tended to be on the long <laughs> side. Right. Okay, there's a whole bunch of other people. Alan Fotheringham you haven't asked about. I haven't. Okay, go for there, it. There, I see him on your, on your desk. Yeah, yeah, and it's signed, too. There oh! We are. Yeah. Alan, uh, uh, Alan Fotheringham launched Key Porter Books into writing into political writing and uh, that not that book but his first book Malice and Blunderland hmm. sold more than 100,000 copies I bought one when it came out I and loved it it's it's full of what I think of as fathering amisms hmm. as are all all his other books uh, um, I've, I've enjoyed working with him he's outrageous he's funny he is I wish somebody today was writing with the wit and critical assessment of our politicians yeah. as, my God, do we need we more need humor. We need a sense of, of, of also reality injected in our political life. We've become sanctimonious. Yeah. And, uh, and he was merciless in his, of, of all parties. I mean, the, the grits that stole Christmas about the liberals. And then, of course, famously, he went on that uh, tour with Joe Clark when Joe Clark went around the oh, world. Uh, yeah. Yes, forgot which, his luggage. Well, yeah. the luggage was lost, and yeah. he asked uh, he <laughs> asked a, a, a farmer, I think, in India, about how old how old are your chickens? Which I, you know, I mean, I can see that Joe would have been lost for work. A very nice man, Joe Clark. Lovely, yeah. He thinks uh, Alan Fotheringham actually nipped his political career in the bud. Wow. By writing about him the way he did. That much influence. That's, he had influence. Mm -hmm. Well, as did a number of other writers. I mean, I think, I'm not sure anybody does in today's... Uh, yeah, not to the extent that uh, Fotheringham. No. And, well, you, there's also Pierre Burton, of course. And yes. That you, you do, and you know, you talk about. Um, and, and all sorts, Irving Layton, there's all sorts Peter of other Newman. people. Of course. Peter, Newman, Peter Newman, Larry Stevenson with chapters. You do a, a, an oh, interesting piece on that. I wasn't about him either. Yes, well, you shouldn't be. He just yes. hammered the publishing sector, didn't he? I didn't think he was in the country when I wrote that about him, and then I saw him. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, is this a mirage? And, I, and he said, oh, Anna, how are you? As if we were close and dear friends. What can I tell you? Yes. Okay, finally... You mentioned the fact that you think that the book that McClellan and Stewart put out, Persia, was the most beautiful book that, that you published with them. It is a beautiful book. Can you name some of the, the other most beautiful, beautifully produced, in terms of a collector? Give me, the collector, some advice on what I should get because of the 
because of the the production values and the the content and what's what's the best you said Persia is the most beautiful but maybe a short list that you come well, to I mind it's it's hard to to do because um, most of the books that uh, that we publish we were trying to save money so the kind of paper that's used in in both Persia and God help us, Iran elements of destiny. Lost three hundred and fifty thousand bucks. About that, yes. I actually, I think rather more. But that's be that as it may. Um, Jack really persisted in publishing it. But it is a beautiful book. If you ignore the context within which it was published, um, I would think that you might look at um, the books that uh, were published with the National Film Board. Because uh, Lorraine Monk. Lorraine Monk was. You're not, you're not kind to her. Not particularly. You call her an empress. She is. Well, there's that. But she did command the quality. Standards, yeah. Uh, but she uh, drove you nuts. Drove me nuts. Absolutely, drove me nuts. Drove Jack nuts too. But but the books are. Uh, they stand up. They well, they are beautiful books. Uh, so in, in in you're you're asking about as a collector. Yeah. Those are beautiful books. Um, and, uh, you know, some of Roloff's other books... Um, Roloff Benny. Roloff Benny's other books are, are also beautiful books. I would look at um, a couple of books of, um, of Dudley Whitney. Uh, the Barn? Who, well, The Barn, for sure. The Barn is almost impossible now. The, the original edition is impossible to get. I mean, you really have to search for it. I am the happy owner of two copies. Ah, well done. Um, but... Um, but it is a it's a collector's item mm-hmm. now, I think. And um, you published a number with him with yes, Key Porter. With Key Porter. Yeah. And, uh, what were they? Well, there was Ranch, which was I think the first big illustrated book we did, and and that book is very hard to find. Um, also, uh, Summer Places, um, which was originally going to be called Cottages until we discovered when trying to sell it to an American publisher that Americans don't have cottages. They have cabins? Uh, they have cabins, uh, they have summer places. Oh, and so we changed the title. And Brendan Gill, who had been the, with the New Yorker, New Yorker did, yeah. uh, did the text for that book. It is also a, a, a collector's item. Okay. I think, uh, you know, books not published uh, by me, but I think you, you might look at the um, Margaret Atwood, um, Charlie Pachter. Uh, oh, yes, yes, Susanna Moody. The Susanna Moody yeah. is, is a collector's item. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you bought a copy back when, you would find that it's now worth substantially more than what you paid for it. Mm-hmm. Any final remarks about your life in Canadian publishing? It's been fun. Yeah, you can tell that in the pages of this book, too. It's a, it's a fun, fun read. And I, I did mention a number of books uh, at the end of, uh, of, of the talk that I am currently, for whatever reason, either reading or have read just very recently, and I think some of those books are quite wonderful. So You better talk, you better mention them here then. Oh, well, I, I did. No, I did. but I didn't tape you back well, then. I, oh, you, of course you didn't. I'm sorry. Essie well, um, Edijan's Half-Blood Blues and her new book, which the I have not killer. read. It's a wonderful book, and I haven't mm. read the new book, but Madeleine Thien's book, Do Not Say, Do Not Say We Have Nothing, uh, Cheriandi's Brother, which I talked about as a book I could not put down. Now, 
It is very different from Rudy Weep, but I would recommend it. Eden Robinson's uh, uh, Son of a Trickster, which I have read, and I'm just reading Monkey Beach, which I bought today. Uh, the Sisters Brothers, of course. Great. Uh, the Wit. Interviewed uh, him. Wonderful. Fun. Quirky. Quirky. Yeah. Fun. Cone Miriam Taves. Yes. Miriam Taves, uh, Oh My Puny Sorrows, uh, which is an older book, but I picked it up recently. What's it called? All My Puny Sorrows. Okay. Wonderful book. I read it uh, recently, and I have her Women Talking book, which is her new book, and, and I would recommend absolutely everything by Thomas King. Everything. Very good. Well, the book is called, In Other Words, How I Fell in Love with Canada One Book at a Time by Anna Porter, and it's published by Simon & Schuster Canada. Have you, have you sold it abroad yet? Are you uh, working not, on that? No, I'm not. No. It's a very Canadian book, okay. I think. Don't okay. you? It is, definitely. But, you know, you get around. You've been I, to the yes. Frankfurt Book Fair. Yes. And, and my other books have been published internationally. So. Very good. Well, thanks very much again. Thank you. And I'm going to look for your... Uh, Bibliophile. Yes.